Welcome to the My Rules Better podcast. I'm Tom Barbelay, and today I have the pleasure of chatting with a listener, Barney Dicker, who found the podcast through iTunes, I think, just looking for dice rolling mechanics. Is, it, is that how you found the podcast? I would say so, roughly. Something like that, yes. So for folks listening in, obviously we cover a lot of topics in My Rules Better. Would you like to give an introduction to who you are and your broad interest in the wide variety of things that we talk about. I am an academic and a teacher, but mostly a house husband. Mm. At this very moment, I'm, I suppose, about two years into getting back into games. And I would say probably getting into them in a more profound way than I have done before. And I think, you know, that, that will be something that, that, that I think we'll talk about as, as it goes, goes along. And I was trying to think of what would be the most concise, interesting biography of how you get, how I got to where I am. I suppose as a child, Star Wars was everywhere. Those figures were amazing. I still think they're amazing. The Flash Gordon film captivated me and still captivates me. Um, a cartoon series called Ulysses 31. I don't know if you ever saw that. Hmm. Um, and that was, that was also made by the same people who did the mysterious cities of gold. Those things have just kind of seared themselves into, into my mind. And so I think that, that led towards, I suppose, an interest in fantasy and science fiction in, in some sense. As a young teenager, I had, I think it was, it was a kind of intense period of time where I got into Warhammer and the miniatures and role play games. There was a comic shop where I lived that also stocked role play games. So I got Paranoia, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, <laughs> Warhammer <laughs> Fantasy role play and Call of Cthulhu, which, which I'm feeling really inspired about again now, mm. especially the pulp, the pulp Cthulhu, the pulp Cthulhu rules, um, are really interesting. But I think. Uh, you know, and, and games, you know, like everyone always says, games were floating around. I think the key moment might have been Hero Quest because that just seemed perfectly playable and satisfying. What motivated me to get back into gaming was my son playing a lot on his iPad. Mm. He's about ten, and the, just how life was was at that at that point. And I I thought right because I'd lost my copy of hero quest i thought right i'd like to get hero quest again and i saw that it costs a hundred quid and i think i remember looking in argos <laughs> catalogs and it was i don't know 12 15 20 quid i can't mm. i can't really remember so i thought well i i wonder if there's anything else out there that's a bit like that that would that would fill that gap and um yeah um and i tried i tried to order a copy of descent because that seemed to be something that replaced it. And I think fortunately it didn't, it wasn't, it didn't arrive. It, it didn't exist from the, the seller that mm -hmm. I had ordered it from. And I, and I opted for Mantic's Dungeon Saga. Mm -hmm. And, and I think, you know, for the price and the, the contents and the mechanics and how it plays, I think that was a, that was a good choice. So that was our first. So here, a kind of hero quest and quasi hero quest was was the way in for me this in this phase and and then I think it it went a little bit more in a kind of skirmish skirmishy direction and then towards board games again. So I think I've got at the moment I still have those three things 
well, I suppose if you include the role play games, you've got the four things. You've mm-hmm. got you've got the the kind of well, I don't, I don't know if it's actually four if I count it. I was thinking, you know, the kind of dungeon crawlery type of thing. Then you've got the a, a skirmish with you know with a free terrain board games where you know every time it's something slightly different, a different theme, a different mechanic, and and then the role play game. So kind of yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm enjoying bouncing between those those different elements those different types of gaming and in your correspondence with me you mentioned two games that i'm not particularly familiar with Uh one was games workshops inquisitor i was out of games workshop from about i don't know maybe 95 through to about 2003 which fits in perfectly with inquisitor so i'm not very familiar with it aside from the large figures and you yeah. also mentioned Strontium Dog, and I'm not familiar with Strontium Dog either. So for folks yeah. listening in, as you said, these were two impactful games for you. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about both of them? Sure. Um, if, if, I, if I actually start with a bit of a, a digression into Games Workshop and White Dwarf, hmm. um, I, I came into it, well, actually, I suppose I should rewind a little bit. I think another key thing was 2000 AD, where the Strontium Dog comic strip comes from, hmm. uh, basically. I, I think I remember seeing what a monthly copy, uh, the 2080 monthly, where they reprinted whole series. And I saw the Ace Garp Trucking Company, um, a, an issue with, with them on the front. And the art looked great and, the, you know, these funny, strange characters. And that was my kind of way in, perhaps a whimsical way into to what can be quite violent sometimes uh, with 2080. So for a very intense period of time, I... I subscribed to 2000 AD just when you had these wonderful kind of reproductions of paintings in the early 90s. Mm. And then, you know, if we jump onto White Dwarf there, it was ex- coming in exactly at the point where they had the uh, Marineburg Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay setting um, being developed. And again, nice, colourful uh, reproductions, all those wonderful scenery pieces to make and all those heavy metal colourful heavy metal pages and of course their own it was their own material so they'd moved on from covering other people's stuff mm. there was also this series called of, of features called confrontation and that i just thought was fantastic and then i left the, the the games workshop white dwarf thing and so it was only i think in this this recent phase that i realized that confrontation became necromunda mm. And thinking, oh, wow, fantastic. And there's actually an interesting connection with that going back to when Games Workshop had licensed Judge Dredd from mm. 2000 AD. And so that early skirmishy part of, of 40K, um, there's, you know, there's a point of, there's some clear points of contact between the mega cities and the hive worlds and that you, that you get in Necromunda. Inquisitor is something that I've found out more recent about more recently, and that that seems to hark back to some of the the early rules in 40k, where you've you've got a skirmish setting, but you have a GM, you have a game mm. master, and and I thought that might be something that we talk about a bit more later, because that's on the one hand maybe it seems a bit ridiculous now. But actually, the more I think about it, I quite like that. And there are some interesting things in Inquisitor, which uh, which I think have sold that a little bit to me. Uh, with the Strontium Dog game, that's a miniatures game that came out last year. Okay. Uh, um, Gav Thorpe is partly responsible for both of them. He 
he led on the rules uh, and text for for Inquisitor, and mm. I think visually that was John Blanche. So all of that certainly kind of, uh, grim dark, the grim dark sketchy stuff. And he was the co-author with Andy Chambers, also ex of <laughs> Games Workshop, <laughs> on the Strontium Dog. I heard an interview about Strontium Dog, and it's got a full set of miniatures that are coming out. They've just released some more. I suppose, what is that, six, nine months after the first release. So that's nice. And apparently there's going to be more 2000 AD content from Warlord, who are mm. the, the publisher. I read some, uh, sorry, I heard, I heard an interview with, with those authors about the game. And the interviewer mentioned kind of beer and pretzels kind of thing to make it seem like it's a bit easygoing. Mm. And it, and it is, it is. But, but I think, I think that slightly, undersells it because i suppose from my point of view the the generic games workshop base format i just find really frustrating and boring <laughs> so so it's it's not so much a case of beer and pretzels or a of kind of a proper sit down game i think it's more a case of an elegant system or a a, a kind of hair pulling out system um, of of tedium the key thing with both of both inquisitor and strontium dog is that they have alternate activation mm. for 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 the figures which of course is great for a skirmish level game and i and or even and i think even for bigger games and and i find the i go you go thing just absurd completely absurd and disengaging for whoever's not playing and kind of you know, the fact that someone could win on the first turn just seems to me kind of ridiculous. But anyway, um, so, um, Inquisitor, Inquisitor is this, is a bit like, I suppose you're just playing chaos. It's mm-hmm. a narrative role play skirmish game. And like I said, you have a, you have a GM who's overseeing the, the, the action and kind of narrating it as well. So you have these, you have rogue traders, you have inquisitors, you have chaos warpers, you have um, pirates, you have mutants, you have any kind of Warhammer 40k setting uh, encounter taking place. And it's all kind of set in this intrigue of the or the, the intrigue of lies, the lies of intrigue or intrigue and lies mm. in the what is it? The dark heresy kind of narrative so it doesn't matter what happens because it gets lost in the 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 the, the annals or the, the <laughs> conflicting reports of of the warhammer world one thing that that i that, that i really liked about the game master being there is that for things like overwatch where a miniature will use an action or so to to be ready to fire at someone or in a particular place a player can whisper that secretly to the game master so the opponent doesn't know who the 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 other that a given figure is is overwatching if you like Mm. so that kind of increases the tension there i think um and that's and that's quite an interesting i think that's for this idea of secrecy is quite interesting or surprise secrecy and surprise for games is quite interesting and we've encountered that my son and i with how you how you spring traps in a dungeon crawler because mantic have created these little tiles 
which you flip over and oh it's a it's a it's a trap but as soon as you've got a trap tile on the table you know it's a trap you're not going to tread on it so nice as the tile is it's completely useless mm. and and i think that that's a that there's a kind of, there's a connection there with with this secret overwatch um where you could think oh i've just walked into that line of fire which i think feeds into this this narrative aspect if you like or but 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 also mechanically that that the the thrill of the thrill of surprise it's not chance is it it's surprise mm. another nice thing in inquisitor is that actions are dictated by your speed and i think the maximum is 6 you could or six actions if you like you can have a higher speed but that would only be how many dice you roll but your so your maximum actions would be six and you can do less actions so this is the interesting thing you you look at your speed and you declare what actions you want to take and how many so i want to run along this 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 walkway and jump down onto the this other platform and turn around and blast someone so let's say that's i don't know four four actions mm. you then roll a binary a binary pass fail dice you know one to three four to six so binary binary yes no for each action and based on the outcome of that you see how many actions of that how how far you get how many of those actions you want to perform and i really like that there's also you can then revise what you want to do if you have a really shit roll. That I think is good, but it also kind of goes against the mega blunder factor um, that could that could transpire. Mm. And it also makes me think: well, couldn't you couldn't you just roll how many actions you've got first, and then decide what you want to do? Are the actions <laughs> declarative? Do you actually say them out loud so your opponent hears what actions you were considering before you? have the option of, I mean, if you were doing declarative actions, it would be an interesting case where you said, you know, I'd like to do this, 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 yeah. this, this, and this, and then you roll too low, so you can only do the first two. You've then declared what your intention is, which your opponent can then utilise in their strategy as well. Does that happen? Yes. Yeah, that's my that's my understanding of the rules, yeah. Right. And then I, so, and with your point there of how the opponent can start to utilize that, I started thinking, well, how could you, how could you start to intercept people mid action? And I haven't had any great thoughts about that, but mm. of, of how, how you could do that. But it seems like there would be that potential to intercept something. Also, this, this funny, this kind of slightly funny thing of what happens if you don't quite get there and you fluff it. Um, and you fall flat on your face, or you run straight into a wall, or you drop your gun, or so it's quite nice not being able to row back on that. Mm. It's a, I suppose, in a weird mechanical way, it's a kind of a human thing. If you or I were thundering round a space hulk, you know, we might not be able to switch our guns on. If we were, you know, if we were dropped in there right now, I don't know if you've seen what is that film, Predators. Mm. with adrian brody where it starts and they're just falling through the sky you know if, if if we were in that situation i wonder how many of our actions we would successfully perform each turn mm. before before a genie stealer gene stealer pops up <laughs> and melts our faces yes yeah and, and 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 i suppose the 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 last thing to say about inquisitor is there's a really there seems to be a really exciting 
indie movement where where people have decided well we're not going to use the hideously expensive 52 millimeter figures we're just going to use normal 28 millimeter figures oh, and we're going to do amazing conversions interesting um it's called ink 28 inq 28 or or inquisimunda so people have kind of fused <laughs> it with necromunda yes so it's this kind of yeah, it is really interesting. And actually, there's a magazine, an online, free online magazine that I came across. Oh, uh, recently. Oh, is it called Twenty Eight? I have to send you the link to that or something. <laughs> and it's got interviews and lovely pictures of converted things and kind of gang descriptions mm. and nice stuff so it's so inquisitor has it there is also if you dig around you might find a living rule book for inquisitor mm -hmm. same with same with necromunda especially before the before the new the new edition yeah the same was um, true with blood bowl yeah. actually blood bowl Indeed, went through yeah. a wonderful renaissance when games workshop had no interest in it and mm. a bunch of third-party miniature manufacturers were creating mm. really fascinating blood bowl teams although they mm. they had their own independent league but yeah, that's interesting actually, because Games Workshop, towards the end of Inquisitor, which is when I started picking up White Dwarfs again, was encouraging mm. people to make their own, but as you say, in, in the larger scale format. And I just thought this is, as you know it, this is ridiculous because there's so <laughs> much detail already existing in, in 28 millimeters. So that's very interesting. You've raised yeah. a number of topics here. Funny, and yeah, I'm going to pick yeah. them in no particular order. Yeah, yeah. But I just wanted to talk a little bit about the. I think of it as a cult, and I look at very strongly, particularly associated with wargaming in the UK, that the yeah. Games Workshop tarnish of I go, you go in large format battles yeah. and in a wide variety just is such, is so toxic. So as soon as you said that, that immediately <laughs> resonated with me that this, and I did a podcast maybe a, a decade ago. I have a, a box of lead that I'm sending one of my listeners from that podcast to now listens to mm -hmm. this podcast. So there's a legacy of maybe 10, 12 mm -hmm. years. Every modern combat system that has this ridiculous I go, you go mechanic can no yeah. way describe, you know, the, what is going on, you know, in all yeah. the wide variety of theatres of war that unfortunately we still find ourselves in today. So yeah. I think what's fascinating about this is that Games Workshop as a thing, as an entity, I'm going to meet Ian Livingston and Steve Jackson in the UK mm -hmm. at the end of August. And I'm mm -hmm. thinking about all, uh, just meeting these gentlemen, you think about the amazing things that this company has done in mm -hmm. terms of just promoting fantasy and science fiction mm -hmm. to so many generations and encouraging so many people and obviously, you know, video games and everything. Just the, the intellectual property explosion that came out of this thing is phenomenal. But mm -hmm. one of the mm -hmm. toxins that came through this <laughs> was, was associated with these very strange mechanics which people yeah. can't seem to psychologically... And I think... I mean, historically, they probably existed in older war games that Games Workshop just built upon. Yeah. Now I look at all the spin-offs that come out of the... You know, systems around the American Civil War, Napoleonic battles, uh -huh. all these kind of things where the I-go-you-go mechanic has no way of actually describing what's going on. But an interesting yeah. point, something from your notes which you haven't actually mentioned. Yeah. You you talked in in email correspondence associated with this notion of what realism means in yeah. games. Yeah. And how it's kind of antithetical 
to most of what we are attempting to do on the tabletop or the board game. Can you talk a little bit about that yeah. aspect of your thinking? Sure, yes. I mean, just to say with, with the I Go, You Go, the new Necromunda has um, an alternate activation system, but, and this, this cracks me up, is that there are so many caveats, like if you're a leader or a lieutenant <laughs> or something, that you basically you could, as with one action, you can activate everyone again, so mm. or something like that. So y- you end up from a kind of reverse engineering back at I go, you go, because you wouldn't construct a team, a gang, that didn't have that functionality. <laughs> yes, okay, so the immersion, the immersion, mm. uh, realism, mechanics thing, yes. Um so yes, I, I started my, my email of notes to you with, I love game mechanics. You know, that, it just fascinates me. I, I find it wonderful. And, and, but not in a dry sense, but in the, in the sense of how is it actually playing out? And mm. what are we going to, what am I doing with this? How, how is so and so performing or playing tonight? Or what seems to be going on? What things can you get out of it? And, and I think that's what, when we discuss gaming, um, especially as you point out in the last one, you know, at your last podcast in a, in a kind of a critical context, especially, um, you know, if we're really getting into it and analyzing them and talking about them, that's all, it's pretty much all the time we're spending talking about, uh, talking about the games. And I, sometimes I hear people say, Oh, yes, yes, it's, it's really, it's the, nar- it's really narratively strong. It's really narratively immersive. <laughs> The theme is really immersive. You just, you know, the rules disappear into the background. They're so intuitive. You, you just feel like you're there on the battlefield or the pitch or the whatever. Mm. And then they talk about mechanics. <laughs> so, so I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a kind of, uh, a, a bit, it's like this attachment. It's a, it's a thing that people can't quite get rid of. And I think that at the moment, narrative, and I think about this, you know, as as an academic, this is part of my wider concerns. I've realised that that narrative at the moment is equated with substance and quality, and um, I suppose ambition, depth, um, emotivity, mm. um, uh, uh, sense, everything. I think everything gets lumped into narrative. If it's got narrative, it's good, um, and. So my area of academic research is film, animation, graphic arts. Mm. And in film history and theory, there's there's an idea called the cinema of attractions, mm-hmm. uh, which has been developed by, uh, you know, principally by a couple of people, Tom Gunning and Andre Gaudreau. And they, in, in, in different ways, they emphasize the way the attractions are foregrounded or... Uh, the, the the you might call them the formal elements the eye catching features of a film mm. are especially in early cinema foregrounded over the story mm. now i was teaching this this idea to some students a few years back and i showed them the beginning of bram stoker's dracula by francis ford coppola which i think is an amazing amazing film and it absolute the the, the kind of the 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 reality of this situation of the balance between, if you like, the narrative and the trick, which mm. I'm going to now equate with games in a minute, um, the mechanics, the, the thrill of the mechanic, um, this balance between narrative and trick 
I think at the beginning of that film just sums up the situation that that opening scene where Gary Oldman becomes Dracula because he's lost his his true love, his wife. That's it. That's narratively. That's that's it. Dracula. Dracula is created when he loses his wife while he's away on battle and he swears he swears that he'll have revenge. That is it. If you think about it in terms of the tricks and the eye catching features, it it's off the scale. He's you know, he ends the scene. You may recall if you've seen it that he kind of ends the scene by ramming his sword into the center of a cross and blood starts spurting out of the crucifix in the church and the entire chapel fills with blood. And that's after you've had a kind of silhouette slaughter scene with, and then all sorts of overlays, you know, it's, it's, it's a feast. It is a visual feast, but narratively it's as thin as a, thin as a hair, hair's, Mm. a hair's breadth. That's what um, I remember about the film, actually. I, I tend to gravitate towards narrative films, right, deep narrative films. And yes, yeah. when I think of, of Bram Stoker's Dracula, I think of the fact that a lot of the depth that I liked in the mythology mm-hmm, was, mm-hmm. yeah, well, as you say, was moved aside for kind of visual effect here. But let's let's return to gaming in some regard. Well, well, just to say with that, that I would say that that... that that depth is transferred to the visual. So my my impassioned plea to you as we move to gaming now is <laughs> watch those films for for on the terms of that visuality as a thing of equal substance to the narrative. Let's talk a little bit about game. So if we now apply that principle of the of the the narrative mechanic dynamic to, to gaming, um because it's a game, because it has moving parts, because the agency of the players is 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 the agency of the players mm-hmm. compared to the passivity of an audience in a cinema, let's say, um, because it's all about that agency of the player. Um, I think, of course, we gravitate actually to the mechanic. Um, the question then comes, well, what's motivating that or what's driving that? Now, for me, I'm quite happy to pretty much just go for the mechanics. That's that's where that that is where the focus lies for me. However, of course, I do like there to be something about it. And I didn't speak about Strontium Dog. That's all about mutant bounty hunters. Mm. Um, that's to me that's a thrilling that's a thrilling theme, and I can really go along with that. Um, but I would I would cast it that the narrative is there to facilitate. The mechanics, the tricks, the agency, the, the the fluidity, the movement, the variability. Have you seen games with with miniatures? I mean, I the thing that strikes me about a lot of this, particularly miniature games, mm. is that the aesthetics of the miniatures are absolutely critical. If mm-hmm. it's difficult even to talk about games with not particularly well sculpted miniatures of this day yes. and age. But there yeah. are a few games where the, the the miniature component to it has a bit of a whiff, um, so to speak. I mean, it is very strange. I, I don't even know that there is a hobby of collecting ugly, misshapen miniatures. <laughs> so I, I guess what I'm saying here is that there's already, I, I think of the visual aspect of the miniatures very much as part of this narrative. Obviously, it, it's yeah. a po- portion of it. But within that, what captivates people to play a game and I think in terms of the mechanics themselves, this is what astonishes me that for 
games with more visually appealing miniatures, more stunning, mm. and mm-hmm. sometimes even just and you talked about the breadth of possibilities in Inquisitor because obviously the genre is so rich and being rewritten and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. What component of narrative for you is just the aesthetics of the miniatures? What component of narrative is the aesthetic of the miniatures? I would I would say the aesthetic of the miniatures are part of that trick, mm. part of that eye-catching aspect. And what I want to do in the game is I want to I want to move them around. I want to utilize them in different ways. So for me, the narrative uh, narrative would be about playing through shifts in balance emphasis speed velocity mm. in, intensity uh challenge um all of those things which if you like are the the deeper level that maybe i don't know joseph campbell and the hero with a thousand faces type of theory would talk about that there are these deeper archetypes so i think there are not just but character those archetypes, things also but actual... seem to describe mechanics as well i mean what you exactly describe... yes okay exactly so 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 i and that would be where i would say i think the narrative is supporting the mechanics not the other way around and to talk about this immersion issue again it's this kind of there are, you often find this uh this 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 phrase repeated that a game is immersive if the narrative is strong. I think the immersivity is in the playing of the game, and that might that that will be partly the narrative, but it will be partly that intense engagement with the mechanics, mm. where someone says, "No, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't do that. Um, that conflicts with this rule." Or someone says, "I've got something that effectively trumps your or cancels your your action." You're still in it. And so I think I think it's that movement then perhaps between that sense of narrative and and mechanics or trick or structure effect. That's that's where we're 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 in we're invested. That's where we we are immersed. It's the te- when the telephone rings. That's when the immersion is broken. It's when <laughs> you have to go and do something else or mm. or perhaps you accidentally knock a miniature on the floor and. Yes, that, that really is, a, in my own experience, the dropping of miniatures <laughs> breaks the mechanic very quickly, breaks the immersion and the mechanic yeah. together. Because yeah, when you say, well, yeah. I wanted to disarm the character, I didn't literally want to do it. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the role of the GM here, because what okay. you described particularly associated, and you, you put in another interesting point, which I also want to acknowledge from our written correspondence, you yeah. talked about the notion of balanced points and like what does balanced points even mean when it yeah. impacts a scenario. And I think what interests me with regards to the Games Master, and, and certainly I think the Games Master is a critical element and actually should be a part of most most wargaming rules. I think what's missing mm-hmm. from a lot of wargaming rules is the ability to have an independent party Mm-hmm. As a participant and a participant mm-hmm. who's actually explicitly there to maximize an element of fun. If you look, I'm not mm-hmm. sure if you're familiar mm-hmm. with this phenomena, but the way Warhammer 40,000 is played in tournaments has become a thing in and of itself, particularly mm-hmm. in this country, but also to a lesser extent in the UK. And these Warhammer tournaments are about two people 
maximizing their knowledge of particular rules and trying to manipulate these rules. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, and the notion of cheating within this environment is really fascinating as well. So, yeah, if I were to put mm-hmm. the antithesis of anything that I want to be a part of, what happens in mm-hmm. tournament Warhammer mm-hmm. 40k games is really mm-hmm. very well established. So I think mm-hmm. the, the games master here, as someone who strengthens, I would argue, strengthens the narrative over the mechanics, I mean, obviously is an arbiter on the mechanics in some regard, yes. but really focuses this thing on the narrative, as you've described it, I yeah. think is absolutely critical. What are, what are your thoughts on this? I'm assuming you're in agreement, basically. Um, so I would I would totally agree that the 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 adjudicatory role, the mechanic the mechanic role, the mechanical uh, role mm. uh, of the of the of the game master would be the most boring thing. Just to say no 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 that, that that's 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 out <laughs> of range. Sorry, you know you don't have line of sight. Yeah, but but. Again, that's this, that's the kind of drier end of the mechanics for me. What, what, what I think is so nice about a game is that you're using the mechanic, you know, through the mechanics, you, or, or, or you're, you're building something through the mechanics and, mm. and, and the narrative then gives you that, that, that husk almost. I mean, that's being a bit rude about it, I would say. So, so it, it would, so I would say it in defending what I'm, putting forward here that, that the game master is saying look at what those mechanics do to our setup we're going to it suddenly shifted the the visible dynamic on the table as well as the meta dynamic that we're all sharing in here and what about that, that puts x or y much closer to achieving their aim um, which again is just a name. Um, I guess my perspective on the games master here, and maybe this comes through a misinterpretation of the early 40k rules, is that the purpose of the games master is actually to add a chaotic, pro-narrative, almost anti-rule uh-huh. element. Uh-huh. And I think that's what fascinates me. I mean, certainly that's the way I played just playing chaos. Is uh-huh. that the third party has to be there to and with although. This is difficult when the Games Master is also playing an opposing side, which happens in just playing cards. But if there were two uh-huh. parties playing opposing sides, the ability to add interesting chaotic elements, uh-huh. narrative elements, I think is very important and really the role of the Games Master as I would see it in this context. Yes, yes, absolutely. And that's the same in Inquisitor. And you always get those caveat lines where they say, well, you know, if, it, if things seem a little bit off or it's not that much fun, you can... You can skew it a bit this way or skew it a bit, uh, a bit that way. What I realized is that perhaps when in a game where there isn't a GM, both players are partially taking on that role of GM. Mm. It, you know, so, so, so in a, in a friendly, in a friendly game, let's say, where, where you, where, let's say there's the emphasis on a narrative or a campaign or kind of drawing out as much as we can out of the scenario. Of course, it's fun for everyone to be doing that together. And so I think it is possible that, that you have, if you like, more than one GM, mm. that you do it together. That's a, a part of your identity. And I think um, it's the absence of that quality, which is what concerns me about the competitive 40K play. Mm-hmm. I mean, I certainly mm-hmm. listen to a number of podcasts and occasionally I use a painting service here where a majority Mm -hmm. of their customers are competitive 40K players. Mm -hmm. I kind of fill the Mm -hmm. void for the poor, burnt-out painters (laughs) in the meantime um, with my eclectic things that I send them. 
But uh-huh. I think it's interesting, and I certainly periodically watch their podcast, videocast, whatever, where they talk about tournaments. And I think it's a cultural element as well. I think the US has a very particular perspective, which comes from, you know, cheerleaders and football players and all this kind of stuff through to hypermilitarism. But what mm-hmm. you see through this is the notion of always being right, always being in control, always being powerful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. dominating based on that. And when you have two people that come together with that perspective, mm-hmm. it's absolutely amazing that they can actually, that these games you know, can exist <laughs> in some formative sense. But it is also, from my perspective, it's interesting, when I came to this country, I met an expat Brit who lived in Las Vegas. I was in Las Vegas at the time. And he, you know, he said, you know, you and me, we're alike, we're alike. And then I watched him play a game of 40K, <laughs> and I was like, mm, maybe not. <laughs> not today, <laughs> thank you. And it was actually really interesting, because I used to go over to his house, I think. I mean, we were living in a, in a you know, one-bedroom, tiny apartment. He never came over to my place, but yeah. we'd meet in game stores periodically. And it got yeah. to the point where originally I'd, I'd come around to his house, and, you know, and there were certain civilized games. I think certainly Space Hulk, for me, because uh-huh. it does have certain elements of the game. That was a, a breakaway game. We played Space Hulk a few times. But to uh-huh. see him play 40K really ended the friendship. It was very curious, actually. <laughs> because I then I sold a bunch of stuff on eBay, and he bought one of the books that I sold on eBay. And I sent it to him. And he emailed yeah. me, and he said, why didn't you just come around and give me the book? And I thought, how do we even go into this <laughs> thing, right? So it is yeah. fascinating that the the role of the GM here and also yeah. the way these rules evolve in actual play is yeah. is a really fascinating part of this thing. I've got an interesting thing here that in the Strontium Dog game and in other games, they use cards, chicanery mm. cards. I was just about to say that. You took it away. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. And, and that would also connect on to an interest that I have in certain board games, which are basically chaotic games. So the mechanics... The mechanics are chaotic. So it, the same with the Strontium Dog. You've got you've got a deck of cards. You get some random cards, and you can play them at a random time, and they will have a kind of a a, a chaotic impact. Uh, but you can also do that in in other you know other games use things, don't they? Like uh, rain or sand blast or something that will that will you know hamper hamper any actions that turn mm. by any characters or something like that. And so so with these chaotic board games, there are two that I've got in particular. One is Gretchen's, mm-hmm. which is a kind of kids uh a kids Warhammer spin-off. Mm-hmm. I I guess it was it's published by Devier and you it, I, they brought it out around the time of this new orc bat, road battle game that's about 100 <laughs> quid or something yes um which seemed to have a square board and i thought right so it's just like mario kart and people are just going to go round and round and bash into each other with gretchen's it's very quick hmm. and you lay you lay cards which form the landscape so those are randomly defined and you might run into squigs or okay. toxic liquid or some other uh, another card or something like that but also you don't get to look at your cards so everyone else looks at your cards Mm. so and you roll dice so some of the things so they're six-sided dice so there's six different things you can do one of the dice is someone has to tell you how many 
firepower cards you've got in your hand, mm. which means you can shoot other Gretchens in their little cars <laughs> scooting along. And and it's really quick. You, you maybe go kind of seven cards along. We find that a bit short, so we kind of go to ten. Mm-hmm. And it's it's completely unhinged. It's completely unhinged, and <laughs> that's the mechanic doing mm. that, and and that's fantastic. There's another game called Portal, the uncooperative cake acquisition game, and it's the board game connected with the video game. I don't know anything about the video game, mm. but that is completely demented as well. And you you win by getting the most slices of cake, <laughs> and there's a and there's a conveyor belt where the end tile gets taken off and burnt. And the only way you can redeem what's on that tile, which is getting burnt, is by sacrificing some of your own figures. Mm-hmm. And and the game ends when you've got no more, when one player has no figures left on the board. Mm-hmm. But you're not necessarily the winner. And I think that's interesting, where the game can end... <laughs> But that's not the win condition. Yes. Um, and yeah, and 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 the, and and Portal also is very different between two and three or more players. Mm. The, the 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 dynamic completely completely changes. So I I wonder then if I can seize the GM back from being a real person and plonk it in the mechanic. In the mechanic. The, mm. And that would maybe lead back round to the points, the question of of army points and. Um, I think for me that that was sparked by listening to listening to one of those YouTube videos by I think it's Wargaming Live. They're mm. a couple of Irish guys and they're hilariously funny. And I think it was on one of those. I've not been able to find it again. But they said when we used to play 40k at the beginning, it was just great to say, well, okay, how long will these five terminators survive <laughs> against an endless swarm of orcs yes and that that's the that's the kind of sentiment that made me think yeah i i'm not that bothered about points what will be a fun scenario and you could say that that means i'm a narrativist hmm. games workshop themselves used this in maybe the, not the last maybe the one before the last or maybe two back the box sets for 40k where if you actually, mm-hmm. they created a series of scenarios where the points were completely imbalanced. Mm-hmm. And I had a fellow come stay with me at the time and we calculated the points because the games were really fun, but it was clear which side was <laughs> going to win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it seemed like the points were just, and we worked out one of the points was like a, a one to three ratio. But mm-hmm. that was actually one of the more fun games because you mm-hmm. switch sides, you played you know, both sides in terms of which was going to win, which was going to lose. But you then started exploring the strategy. How long can you actually get this game to last? You know, yeah. what is going on here? Yeah. And I think yeah. it's interesting that even even within the hallowed halls of Games Workshop, occasionally for starter sets, for people to get people interested in playing the games, points mechanics mm-hmm. are just thrown aside. And instead... Mm-hmm. You know, completely uneven battles, completely curious scenarios, but they mm-hmm. don't say it explicitly. They don't acknowledge it within the rules in any way. And you need mm-hmm. to have a background knowledge of the game to even know, hmm, these, mm-hmm. as you say, these five Terminators, I think one of them was like that. It was like five mm-hmm. Terminators versus like a Chaos mm-hmm. Horde or something. I mean, it was mm-hmm. fascinating to see how even within the hallowed halls of Games Workshop, they're willing in order to get people to start playing the games 
to discard this fundamental thing with regards to points. But of course, that would be so much more fun if it was alternate activation and not. Of course, yes. You go, I go, I go, you go, whatever. <laughs> well, unfortunately, they are limited to to some basics. Buddy, I've had a lot of fun doing this, and Excellent. I would like to do this again sometime. So let's uh, sure let's allow the listeners to let's allow the listeners to listen to this and let some of these ideas percolate. And maybe if listeners can start submitting uh, topics for us to discuss, because I think you've, <laughs> you've offered many different possibilities here. But I think the ability to have the chance to chat with you is just a luxury today, and I'd like to have that luxury in the future. Can I ask you just one question? I see yeah, your sure. parcel of miniatures, which you, yes. have, you had claimed through correspondence you hadn't yet yes. opened. Yes. Is it's it true. still a paperweight? It's, it's still unopened, and I'll tell you why, <laughs> because... What I would like to do is make a little video of it uh, and put that on YouTube. Uh, well, because I'm all got, in favour of that. So excellent, because I thought I thought that's that's one way I can I can I can spread the word about your your good work. Um, and then I also thought if I call it something like Free Citadel Miniatures, <laughs> how many hits it will get? Yes, I'm not even sure what I. I had some memory. I think it's in a, a, a old VHS case that I was. Okay, is that what it is? Is that what it is? Yeah, World that's worth one dollar. It says here, plastic case, one dollar. Yeah, believe me. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I I sent some World War Two miniatures. They're actually really beautiful miniatures. Uh, mm. In uh, this case, it had ten miniatures inside, neatly wrapped and what have you. And I thought this is a really functional case. I think I packed mm-hmm. probably. Somewhere closer to thirty miniatures in your case. Okay. And I honestly no longer have any actually no, I think I think you are actually one of the lucky ones. I think you actually have <laughs> you actually honestly probably have more Citadel miniatures in your case, I think, if I recall correctly, <laughs> than anyone else that I sent anything to, including basically it's all old school Citadel stuff as well. So yes, it would be Very disruptive in a variety of ways if you actually filmed the unboxing. But I have an, yeah. another box here that I'm sending to Ireland um, today, uh-huh, or Northern uh-huh. Ireland, should I say. And, um, you yeah, know, I, I, look, for folks listening in, I still have three cases worth of figures to send mm-hmm. on to folks. So if you're listening and you would like to, and please, when you do the unboxing, state in the unboxing as well. Yeah. That um, others could get similar parcels if they're interested. So Yeah, yeah, I, I will. I will do that. I will do that. You know, yeah, I'm very... I'm very excited to uh, to to know what's in there. Yeah, um, I suppose if if there's one little thing I could say to close for me that I really wanted to say, and we have talked about it, is this feeling of having your identity as a gamer, or um, no, what do I mean? What kind of a gamer are you? Mm. What self awareness do you have as a gamer? So for me. It has to be alternate activation. You mentioned a couple of podcasts back that you don't like hexes. You, you want free <laughs> free terrain. I don't mind the hexes so much. What gets me is when the board is fixed. Yeah. I can't stand a fixed board. I just want a new combination possibility, even if you don't use it. The, the fact that I, I suppose I, I prefer dice over cards or something like that. And I think it's a really interesting project to to get to know your cognitive set mindset through through the types of games and i think that's a way of navigating the sheer volume of different games there are to kind of start to to start to pick what your 
what your preferences or your peccadilloes are and and to and to kind of work that groove well hero Christ ruined you because i mean that's what established that <laughs> philosophy in you right <laughs> well i suppose well it was either that or flash gordon i don't know i mean you know the flash gordon film is such a perverse film so I don't know. But I'm, I'm talking uh, specifically about the board mechanics of HeroQuest yeah, is what you've described sure. perfectly. So, yes. I um, guess, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely spot on. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Barney, it's been an absolute pleasure. Let's work out some time we can do this again. The exciting absolutely. part is always putting this thing out to the listeners and seeing what they dream up through this. So I'm looking forward to getting listener feedback associated with this as well. I, one, of the, one of the things that I really liked was hearing the birds of Germany in the background. In fact, it's right there now. I forgot how songful uh, the German countryside is. So thank you for uh, for also sharing. In the mornings, in the mornings, it's quite a a great cacophony. Sounds pretty good. So yeah, (laughs) maybe maybe we can speak at uh, you know really early in in the morning for me. I don't know if that's late (laughs) at night for you or something. You get to hear, but that might be next year. But at our rate, maybe I turn into a pumpkin after about nine pm here, so it might be difficult. Oh, that's right. Maybe maybe we'll just um, maybe we'll find listeners in your part of the world that you can talk to and get that at the same time. So we'll work (laughs) it out, buddy. We'll work it out. Thank you ever so much, Tom. It's Uh, been a real pleasure. It has been. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Absolutely. Bye bye.